Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. So last time we didn't do this, so I think going Mm -hmm. forward maybe we should do an acknowledgement of country. Mm -hmm. It's kind of tricky being a descendant of white colonialist settlers on land that is still occupied, but I think it's worth acknowledging at the very least. Yeah, it's, you know... It's, it's worth the effort. Yeah, it's like the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Te Whanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. So what have you been up to this week? Tell me about your week. Um, not that much. I've been really busy with work this week. I had to do a little board meeting of sorts that I had to organise and book a venue and that was a disaster because the venue didn't know we were coming even though I'd called to confirm multiple times. And But we managed to pull it off and everyone had a really great productive time and were very grateful to me. So I felt quite accomplished and very adult. I'm like, I can do this. I can overcome any obstacle. Well done. Oh, thanks. How about you? What have you been up to? Well, uh, my husband went into work a few times this week, so I was very disconcerted and lonely. So I vacuumed a lot, thought about baking, but it got really hot. And so I couldn't bake and I was just feeling very sorry for myself. So I ended up doing a lot of reading and just planning for Christmas. (laughs) I've organized what everybody's going to get. And I have also drafted emails to the rest of the family to tell them what to get my children so that no one's presents overlap or are too expensive. That is very organized. I'm very impressed. I think it might be micromanaging, but I had to do something. I was just sitting in the house and I was like, it's so quiet. Where is everybody? And they were at school and work. And here I was just floundering. So yeah, it must be quite strange after like having everyone home for so you know so much of the year and now you're like oh god where have they gone exactly i actually really like my family so i'm really happy when they're (laughs) home and you need a clock like molly weasley has that tells you where they are and what they're doing at all times that would be great (laughs) and i could just allocate the appropriate amount of anxiety to them as required that would be the dream (laughs) no i was just gonna say what was your three best things this week i have been making a lot of smoothies I really love ice cream, so I've been trying to eat things that are cold and sweet, but not ice cream. So I've been doing frozen banana, frozen blueberries, milk, and peanut butter, and they are super delicious. Oh, yum. You should share the recipe for that. It's literally just that. I just put all of that into a Nutribullet and... I love my Nutribullet. It's so good. It's like the best. It's so noisy, but you could just turn it on and leave it. That's how I know I'm old, when I'm like, I love my Nutribullet. Um, my favorite meal this week was a blueberry glazed donut that I had this morning and it was amazing. It's from my favorite little cafe called Sixes and Sevens, which is near my house. And I usually go there every weekend and get a donut and they know me. And sometimes when I turn up too early, they're like, oh, you're here very early. And I'm like, "Mm, (laughs) feel very judged right now, but they're great. And I would highly recommend them if ever in Wellington. (laughs) Should we? How should we sum up the sections? Because we read um, we read ten chapters this week, which is no small feat. 
was quite a lot. Yeah, shall we just do like a, a line each on each of the chapters? Yeah, do you so, want to take chapter one and I can do... Cool. So yes, ten chapters this week. Um, and in the first chapter, we meet Puck and her brother Finn. And she races her mare Dove, who is the sweetest horse in the world ever, against Finn's old Morris. And Finn wins the race. But it doesn't actually matter because they freak out because the Connollys see the full Kapalushka of the season coming out of the ocean. Chapter two is where we meet Sean again. Uh, he's getting blood from the Grattans, who are the butchers, and he hears that the start of the Kapalishka season has begun. The Grattans do not like the Malverns, who Sean works for, but Sean stays out of it. In the next chapter, Gabe tells Puck and Finn that he's planning to leave the island, and in a desperate bid to keep him around, Puck impulsively declares that she's going to race in the Scorpio races, and Gabe then agrees to stay until after the race. Chapter 4, Sean is woken up from a dream about catching core by the Carroll brothers, Brian and Jonathan, who tell him that Mutt Malvern, uh, the illegitimate son of Benjamin Malvern, his boss, has tried to catch himself a water horse and is in a pickle. Sean gets up to deal with it. He ends up letting the horse go. In chapter 5, Finn makes Puck a cup of cocoa and accompanies her to the beach off for the first day. Oh, I love that chapter. Mm, same. In chapter six, Sean rides a piebald mare that Gory, a bowler-headed dealer, has fished out of the sea. He's very compelled by the horse. Her magic has a vicious pull on Sean. He tells Gory to throw it back because it will kill someone. In chapter seven and eight, Puck goes to the peach to try and find a water horse to ride. It's chaotic and no one wants to give her a chance, not even for fifths. At the end, Gory still has the piebald mare and he offers her the chance, but Puck changes her mind. The mare then kills a dog and Finn begs her not to ride a water horse. She tells him that she's going to be riding Dove. Uh, in chapter 9, Sean finds a moment of respite on the beach with Cor after a busy first day. And then Mutt has weed in his boots. Oh, Mutt. So gross. In chapter 10, Puck goes up to the Grattans to sign up for the races. She sees Sean Kendrick and she definitely notes him. Mm. Pig then tries to gently talk her out of signing up but lets her pay and be official. Outside of the butcher, she witnesses an argument between Sean Kendrick and Mutt. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, there's a lot in that 10 chapters. And a lot of drama. It's actually the beginning of the Scorpio races. I hadn't realized that seeing the Kapalushka come out of the water, or I hadn't remembered it. That's, that's when it begins. Like, after that, everyone's already there. The next day, people are on the beach. It happens so quickly. It does happen quite quickly, and it... I think it's interesting that there's this real sense of changing seasons in there as well. You know, they talk about October and the November, like, seas and all these things. And the season mm. is such a big part of that. And it's like a full stop almost being like, okay, and now something new begins. They don't have a change at the beginning of the month. They have a change from when the, the first water horses emerge. Like, there's a huge economic reason for them, for the races. Yeah, same. And I thought it was also interesting, this idea that it's also the last point you really can leave the island before winter it's like then the water becomes too treacherous right so the tourists come and then they have to leave otherwise they're going to be stranded on Thisbe and so for Gabe he's like if I if I stay too long I won't be able to go at all yeah that that one got me as well I thought why would you want to start a new life when it's about to be winter because I'm assuming the mainland is somewhere in Britain I don't think starting out there in the winter sounds like a good idea at all mm. Especially in the time when this is set, it feels like he would have to go and find work and the work would be really hard to find because everything would be closing down for the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're going into Christmas. And so the idea of like leaving your family just before Christmas and, you know, the thing I forgot is how recent their parents' death is. Like it's only been a year since their parents passed away. And it seems like Gabe's not really processed the trauma. I don't think any of them really has. No. But Gabe seems to have kind of shut down and just 
divorced himself from the family. So the idea of him just leaving for Christmas and leaving his two younger siblings behind is is quite a big deal. Yeah. Can we talk about what a complete jerk move it was that he told them the day before the anniversary of his parents' death? Like, don't tell them you're leaving and you're leaving them at that point. That's just horrible. I think the thing that broke my heart was just this, you know, when he says, I'm leaving, they just assume they're going with. They're like, oh, but what about our stuff? And he goes, I'm leaving the island. And even then, they don't hesitate. They don't go, oh, but I don't want to leave Thisbe. They just go, oh, okay, but what about our stuff? It's kind of like, yeah, sure, all right. If you're going, we'll go. And he's just like, yeah, nah, it's a no from Gabe. I feel like there were so many different ways he could have done it. Like, I I feel like if I were in that situation, I would have tried to find a situation for my little brother and sister. Like, I would have tried to figure out something I could do rather than just being like, well, off Mm. I go to make my own way. Like, what does he think is going to happen? And I really relate to Puck when, you know, there's that bit where he goes, oh, I've promised them that I'll stay until at least then. And she's so outraged that he's already talked to someone else about this. You promised your boss? What about us? Yeah. Yeah. The betrayal in that moment, I just, it's so visceral, you know? Oh, that made me so mad too. (laughs) I think we're all on Team Puck in this one. We're like, okay, Gabe. And I don't know, like, we know that Gabe is six years older than Puck, but we don't actually know how old Puck is. But, you know, if we assume she's like, what, 16? I feel like she's 17, 16 or 17. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Then, you know, Gabe's 22, 23, mate. You need to do better. Like, I'm sorry. He's old enough now to know what he should be doing. And I get that it's really traumatic that you've lost your parents, but you would have been an adult at that point already. So why has Mm. it fallen to Puck to try and hold this family together? You know, it's just... Gender roles. Patriarchy. Yay. We hate it. There were moments in this where I wrote in the margins, like, patriarchy, yay. Yeah. (laughs) One of the really telling things for me was when Peg tried to bring it around to like, oh, why are you being a feminist about this? And she was just like, that is so beside the point. I also mark that because it's also the first time that someone's called Puck a woman. Up in that, until that point on the beach, you know, they call her girl or whatever. And she refers to herself kind of as a girl. But Peg's like, this is not a woman's place. So it's kind of like, yeah. ooh, okay. I love the idea of Peg being sort of the future snapshot of what Puck could be. Mm, that's good. I always think of her as being like a potential future puck. There's a there's a path that she could take in many ways because Peg is a, an absolute force of nature. I love Peg. Me too. I, I have very complicated feelings about her, but I do love her. I just love this idea that all the men are in love with her because she knows how to cut out their heart. It's just like such a brutal description. And it's a great one, right? That's it's. I know that I've spoken about my love for Charlize Theron before, but I feel like if there ever is a Scorpio Races movie, if she doesn't play Peg, we will have sorely missed out on something. Yeah, that's a good shout. The thing I found interesting as well is, you know, Thisbe is a small community. It's an island community. Mm. And yet the Connollys are sort of a separate unit onto themselves. They don't seem fully integrated into the rest. Like, you know, even Sean, who is... He keeps himself quite isolated. He doesn't really have any attachments, but people know him. Everyone knows him. In the in the community, you know, he knows the butcher. He knows this. He's, like, involved in the comings and goings of Thisbe. But the, the Connollys are just off on their own to the side, and yeah. no one really knows them, and they don't really know anyone. And it's just such an interesting thing for a small community to have that. Like, I didn't grow up in a small community, but I would think that it's quite unusual. Yeah, I actually feel a bit of kinship with that. 
we did have that sort of very insular, our family is our family and everyone else is outside of it. And so reading the Connollys makes me feel both a little bit familiar and kind of uncomfortable. Like it's good to have a community and to be part of something bigger. And we don't really see that in the first 10 chapters. All we see is that they are this tiny and broken unit that like they're missing their, I don't know, tent pegs or something. And now the children are just blowing away to the wind. Yeah. There's nothing to ground them. Yeah, because the parents are gone. They're all having to be adults, but none of them are very well trained at it. None of them really know how to. And Gabe's trying, Puck's trying, and Finn's trying, but none of them really can land it. And that's kind of the thing when you don't have the community, there's no one there to catch you when the unit falls apart. Mm. Because if, you know, they had stronger ties in the community, maybe there would have been an adult who could have stepped in and helped them and helped them grieve and all that stuff. But it's kind of just like, "Mm, nope, they're on their own. I think we see later that Gabe does. He does find the substitute community. He goes out and makes his own found family, Hmm. which is another point of outrage for Puck, and rightly so. Like, she realizes, like, oh, this is who he's replaced us with. We're not, we're like, we've been here the whole time, but he's been at this other family's house doing these things with this other family. Like, this is where he's happy. Why isn't he coming home and being happy with us? He just leaves them behind. As an eldest child, I have a lot of sympathy for feeling like you have to look after your siblings. And also I have a lot of sympathy for feeling like you've just got to let them go do their own thing. Gotta live your own life. Yeah, but you know, he uh, he definitely uh, messes it up. He's not very good at striking that balance. I don't want to judge him, but I'm totally judging him. <laughs> um, we had a lot of marginalia in common this week because our themes were family and home when we read through it i separated out my marginalia through the themes of family and home and when i noted the ones that you had written down they were so similar yeah we had a lot in common yeah i love that we both did that in two sections just like yeah. intuitively and then i just copied your colors but yeah yes <laughs> so we have sean colors and puck colors because their perspectives are so different but they both think a lot about home and a family in these chapters yeah and even though they had come from very different places I feel like there's a loneliness in common there definitely Mm. you know there's a there's a a thread that that ties them even though they don't know it yet yeah say more about that Puck is trying so hard to hold her family together but she's almost alone in that she feels very isolated from her brothers yeah Sean just holds himself apart I feel like he is very good at compartmentalizing he's just kind of parked his feelings and he's just he doesn't connect with anyone really except for core and even with core he acknowledges that I can't really trust him I hear you on that I really got the feeling that Sean holds his memories of his family at a distance like he's very cold in the way he discusses his father like oh my father had this failing and this is what my father was like and this is how I resemble him or don't resemble him and there's even a moment where he talks about how Nobody remembers that his mother left for the mainland and his father is dead because, and that suits him because there are better things on Thisbe to be known for. But that's a huge part of you. That's a foundational part of your life. And he's just like, eh. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because they obviously have grief in common. Um, Puck's Mm. grief is so near still. It's only been a year, you know, like I don't think they've really fully processed that yet. And then Sean's dad died, what, nine years ago? We don't know when his mum left in that cycle, but he is just so distant from that. He just Mm. doesn't have any emotional connection to all that. It's just like a fact. He's like, oh, well, that was a thing. Yeah, every time a memory pops up, he's like, oh, this, right, a memory about my family. I will think about it and then put it away. It's just a sign that he's compartmentalizing and he just cannot afford to think. And I think there's something in there and how often things are not said with him so often in his chapters there's words like 
there was a wordless shrug or they communicated without words and he's you know an arched eyebrow here or this and that Mm. and there's like a lot of not communicating there's so much going on but he just doesn't communicate it he's just like "Mm, shut down over here minding my business just watching everything (laughs) yeah that's a trauma response Um, freeze or flight or fight the freeze is a really common one that not a lot of people talk Mm. about but I I can see how if he were used to being vulnerable and taken advantage of when he was vulnerable or hurt when he was vulnerable, how just absolutely freezing and staying completely still would be the best option, especially working with the the horses to have that just being still and knowing exactly where he is at all times. It kind of goes hand in hand. And there's definitely a trust thing there as well, because when Mm. he has the dream about catching core and he's in the cave and he talks about nothing being completely harmless, even though... I underlined that too. That one really got me. Because, you know, his dad had told him that they were harmless and he's like, "Mm, nope, nothing's completely harmless. And I think, yeah, is that something that he has taken on after his dad's death and after his mum's leaving? Or is that something that he's felt in that moment when his dad first told him that? that wasn't harmless you know like I never know if when he thinks back on his family I never know if Sean is thinking back with his adult eyes or if he's experiencing Mm. it with his child eyes because as an adult you have a lot more perspective you can see what's going on but when you're a kid you're just feeling it and living it you don't have that greater perspective of life it's a a little bit of you know is he projecting onto his memories of his his dad you know yeah yeah that's something that I noticed as well when um, Puck is getting upset at Gabe. She's saying that she's going to race and there's this whole bit where she's she's hoping that he'll say, no, don't do that. I won't go. She wants him to read her mind and be mm. like, oh, she's only doing this to get me to stay and therefore I will stay. And he doesn't do that. And that is such a thing that I've worked on in therapy is this idea that you say something and you just want someone to read your mind and read the underlying thing that you actually want them to mm. do. And it's mm-hmm. like, people can't read your mind. I love that scene as well where she's daring him mentally to make the arguments she knows he wants to make because then he'd have to face up to the truth himself. She can't race because if she's killed, then who will look after Finn? Oh, because it won't be him because he'll be leaving. And she really wants him to acknowledge that. So I love that that's a bit of a double-edged sword because she wants him to feel that, but also she wants him to know that she wants him to feel that. Yeah. I um, I did look up the etymology again because that's, you know, who I am. And I thought there were some interesting... There were some interesting things that I discovered. For family, it didn't always mean like what we would think of as like mom, dad, kids. Um, it often meant like the household, like the group mm. or the household. And I was thinking about how in a lot of fiction, especially fan fiction, there's the idea of found family mm-hmm. where we go and make our family. And I love that you actually get to see like family, found family, people who've left their origin families and then gone to be part of a found family with another group. We see all of this in the text it's kind of reflective of Puck's maybe her kind of clannish view of what a family is right mm. she feels isolated she feels she only has her brothers because she hasn't been exposed to other types of family so she has this different sense she feels like a Connolly because that's the thing that that's the only rule they have and I love that memory where she talks about you know when she was asked where she lived she was just like the Connolly house because hmm. I'm a Connolly like that's why I thought it was good to read family and home as a theme together because for Puck those two things are the same like the home is not a physical place it's not really the land even though she does have a connection with the land it's not the house it's the family those two things like for her home is where the family is yeah it's having a place to have the family anywhere that she and Finn and Dove and Gabe until Gabe goes can be together is enough for her 
And she's so desperate just to keep Gabe around, even if it is just for, what, another two weeks? Like, she yeah. just, yeah, that to her is such a victory. Oh, well, I've kept him here for another two weeks. And... I think she just has not understood that Gabe will never be happy on Thisbe. Like, she is not getting that in this first wash. I, I kept feeling like, this is a really bad breakup. That's how I read that. Like, he's just really bad at saying that he's going to leave. And why he wants to leave and yes. why he needs to leave. So and she's like, oh, he stays two weeks. Maybe then he'll stay. Like, he'll change his mind. That's enough time for me to change his mind. And, yeah. and there's that bit where she talks about how she he only fake smiles around her and she should have been working harder to, like, elicit his real smile from no, him. And it's not your job, Puck. Such a sense of duty there for her. Like, mm. even with the cooking and the stuff like that, she just, like, feels such an immense sense of duty and guilt towards them. And she's like, if I can just if I can just make him happy, then he'll stay. And that is a really bad breakup. You're right. It's, yeah, I kept thinking like this reminds me of all the times when I've been in a relationship with someone or even a friendship and it's faltering. And you just think, I'll just bargain it down to where we're still together and it'll be OK. Like she's bargaining. She's trying so hard to find what needs he has that aren't being met and thinking she can meet them but she has to do something desperate to keep him to stay first so she can have the time because if he had maybe started talking about this before their parents died it wouldn't be such a shock but he didn't and I'm so furious at him I hadn't thought of that at all and I think maybe if he was thinking of it before their parents died and then their parents dying he was like well now I can't go and he's just been sitting with that disappointment being like oh I'm trapped forever now that's how I read it it makes me a bit more um feel a bit more kind towards Gabe oh me too and I hate it because I really want to be mad at him because like just be a better brother but also you know everybody deserves to live their own life and really it isn't his job but also it's no one's job and it should be someone's job no they need some sort of guardian where's the guardian so yeah I thought family as not just relatives and connections Uh, there's also something about the lineage and the descendants it's flagged in the prologue and we talked about it last time where Sean was like Oh, Kendrick, that's my name and my father's name. Um, and then he says later, there are better things to be known for than the story of his dead father. And I thought, well, that's really interesting because before he was kind of delighted by that. And now he's stepped mm. back from it a bit. Sean's reluctance to stand in his father's shadow, but yet also is drawn to that legacy. I found quite fascinating because there is this bit in this section where he talks about, um, I see my father's shadow in his own and he says a horseman even on the ground. So he finds yeah. that commonality with his father almost beside himself. Yeah, I, he was comparing himself to his dad and he also made a couple of improvements. His hair wasn't as long and he didn't have a hunch. Like he was already going and my legacy is going to be better or different. Like I feel like he's mad at his dad for dying. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of resentment there and it makes me wonder about his dad. Like, Everyone on the island knows Sean Kendrick. And when mm. there is even the slightest issue with a horse, they all go running towards him. And I'm like, he's 19, guys. Give him a break. But anyway. I know we don't know his father's name, but I wonder if his father's name was actually Sean Kendrick. And I wonder if his dad had the same reputation. Like, was he also the go-to man for any kind of horse trouble? Like, is this just a legacy that Sean continues and maybe doesn't even know it? I don't know. We'll have to look out for more clues to see if we can suss that out a bit. Because mm. I think he's... I think he's both living up to and defying something that he doesn't have any choice over, but he really wants to. I think it's really interesting how everyone on the island obviously respects Sean, but also seem a bit scared of him. Yeah, they make space for him. He's a bit like a shark. Yeah, he's such an unknown quantity. And there's that description of he's got one foot on the land and one foot in the sea, or he's mad as the ocean. And I'm like, he is the ocean. 
That's who he is. That she's the island. I mean, this is it. We've cracked the book. That's. <laughs> but that was another thing I found interesting in reading for home hmm. is that the sea featured so heavily. So I think for Sean, he's always so alive. I'm so, so alive when he's on the beach. Like yeah. he doesn't have a physical home, but the beach for him is home. And he shares that with Cor. You know, there's that line where it says, Cor lifts his head, ears pricked, neck curved, as if he's courting the Scorpio Sea. And mm. I just love that. It's like the ocean is where these horses belong. That is their home. And that's almost where Sean belongs. Yeah. But he resists it too. Like when he was riding the, the piebald and saying, you will not be the one to drown me. Mm. He's going to go in on his own terms. One of the things I wrote down, this is a bit of a tangent, but we discussed last week how we thought, how is, is he more magical? What is it? What's the connection? And I wrote inoculation. Ah. Because when yeah. he was riding the piebald mare, he said, it's only because I've ridden dozens of water horses over the years that he is vulnerable to it. But because he's ridden so many of these horses, he is immune in a way. He's able to recognize it and say, no, this is, it's pulling me in. It wants me to go in. I'm not going to let it happen. And he's also so prepared. Like, he has every trick up his sleeve. Literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> he's got iron, he's got ribbons, he's, he's like Mad-Eye Moody. Constant vigilance around these horses. He's ready to spit on his fingers, get a ribbon out with the other hand. He's got iron up his sleeve. He'll whisper the spells, he'll tie knots in the manes, he'll do everything. Yeah, and you compare that to, you know, I've forgotten his name, who is gory. just not... Gory. Who is not paying attention. And then look what happens. Grim so grim that scene gets me every time because it's like this is really traumatizing for finn when he thinks that puck's been bitten because she's covered in blood all of a sudden and on the ground that scene is even worse for me this time because there's that scene when they first see the kapalushka emerging from the water and they're both standing there and they like we know that the horses are dangerous we know we know it every day because they have lost so so much to these horses and then yeah. for finn to to have that moment where he thinks he's losing his sister as well, who is his caregiver. And basically best friend. Yeah, it's just the worst thing. And then I just love that line where she was like, people are shouting Sean Kendrick, but I'm shouting Finn. Because that's all that matters to her. Everyone else is like, oh, disaster. We need Sean to come and sort it out. And people are so blasé about the damage that these horses inflict. Like They're just like, oh, yeah, that guy fell on his head and that one's been bitten and whatever. And they just get on with it. What yeah. is wrong with you? Everybody's life is forfeit, potentially. And so you either love really hard or you love not at all. And they're also used to loss because everyone has lost someone or knows someone who's, you know, and then they, you don't go to school because your cat got eaten by a horse in the night or stuff like that. Or it's someone's quite... father disappeared or someone's brother disappeared and you just, you don't know if they've gone on a boat or if they've been killed and eaten. Like the ambiguity of it really strikes me as being. Yeah. And there was also a line where it was everyone's lost someone either to a Kapalushka or to the mainland. And I'm like, wow, those are the two worst things that could mm. befall you in Thisbe. And they're both as bad as each other. It's yeah. Just, it's quite intense. Well, and this is, this is a viewpoint that Puck has that is reinforced all the time. And she even says at one point, I think we, did we both underline that? Yeah, when she says it won't matter that he's still alive somewhere, it will be just as bad as mum and dad. So she, he's basically dead to her. Yeah, I, I want to come back to that after... Um, <laughs> There's definitely a moment where she reconsiders that. And I remember that from one of my readings where I was like, oh, she does turn the page on this idea that losing someone to the mainland where at least they're alive in her mind is better than them being dead here. Mm. And I wonder if, yeah, if you could flip that because if Gabe stayed, 
he would essentially be dead inside because he doesn't want to be in Thisbe. He's not yeah. happy there. I'm seeing a lot of where Gabe and Peg interact. Like, there's no reason for them to. He's not buying meat to bring home. So when is he having the time to have conversations with Peg Grattan about his little sister entering the Scorpio races? Mm. So there's definitely something going on. I am noticing it and I am finding the evidence to back it up. But I know that it has also not been explicitly said. I'm going to say that there's enough subtext that we can infer that they have some kind of relationship. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any background in this at all. And I thought it was weird that when Peg was like, oh, you know. Gabe asked me to not, he doesn't want you to enter and he asked me to find a rule against it. And I'm like, why is Gabe talking to you? What is going on? Yeah, the married mother of his friend. Mm. But yeah, I I think definitely that she's married. There's no way that he could ever really be happy with the person that he cares about on Thisbe. It's such a tiny island. Yeah, he's not going to find her. Quite, yeah, it's tragic. Yeah, Gabe, Gabe needing to leave, I understand, but also I'm not very happy with how he does it i think that's where i landed on that yeah i would agree i had a little look at the concept of home as opposed to like what we think of home but like where it comes from historically it's a very old Mm -hmm. word there are a lot of different ways to read home it's also related to ham as in hamlet like village oh okay so it's like i'm going home can actually refer to your village or where you live or i you know and Thisbe is basically a big village, even though it has its own towns. Hmm. So I thought about that and thought, that's a really interesting way of reading it, that they are home, they're on this place that's home, but also home has these really terrible things in it that are happening to their family. Yeah, I wrestle with the concept of home because it can mean so many things. Hmm. Like, it can be the building that you live in, like a physical place. It can be the city, the country, the village, you know, the suburb, or it can be people. Like, I think about it a lot because I don't really know when people ask me, you know, oh, where's home? I don't have an immediate answer. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that because I've lived in so many places and I have connections in so many places. So for me, home tends to be where my parents are. My parents live in Perth and I barely lived in Perth and I really have no connection to it. But that's where they are and that's where my dog is. So therefore that's where home is, you know? Yeah, so I think of home like that. I think of them as, oh, well, it's where my parents are. Home is where the dog is. Home is where the dog is. But then I definitely feel like Wellington is home. Like, I feel like I've made my home here. Yeah. I feel very comfortable here. But I also feel like Sydney is home because I spend such a big time there and I've got such amazing friends there like you. I think that's fair. I mean, my parents don't live in the same town that I grew up in. But when I think about, like, where I grew up as a kid... The home I think of is definitely the pink house that I grew up in and not their current farmhouse. When people ask me where I'm from, I don't ever say my hometown. I say the town that I moved to for uni. Mm. I actually say the city that I moved to because I chose that place. When I think about a home, like this is where I live and this is where I am and this is where all my roots are. I can't imagine trying yeah. to move from Sydney. I've been here for so long that this is just where I am. It's where I want to be. The roots thing definitely gets me because I feel like when we moved to Sydney, I spent a lot of time, you know, I was a teenager. I really struggled to adapt in Sydney Mm. and I spent a lot of time kind of divorcing myself from my South African roots. I didn't really want to admit that that was where I was from. I didn't want to acknowledge what I had left behind. It was sort of a coping mechanism for me to just shut that down. Yeah. And I never really thought about it until I started, I did a, a course here in Te Reo Māori, which is the traditional Māori language in New Zealand. And a big part of 
Tereo is also learning about your whakapapa, which is basically your lineage and where you're from and your mm. history. Because in Māori, when you, you know, you go to a meeting or anything like that, you will introduce yourself and you do a mihi-mihi, which is basically, this is my mountain, this is my river, this is my tribe, this is my name, this is my family. And you kind of, the way you place yourself in the world is based on, you know, your physical location. Geographic and, had, and family. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. We had to do this in this class and they were like okay so you know what's your mountain to do your mihi mihi and I'm like don't know no idea do I have one what's your river I don't know can I pick Wellington does Wellington have a river I don't actually know and it was just this weird thing and I never felt more displaced than in that moment I never felt more like like this lost little immigrant child than I did in that moment and it's something that I've really been thinking about a lot since that class I'm like well what is that? Do I need that? Is that why I go through life moving from country to country all the time? Because yeah. I'm looking for that? Like, I don't I know. I guess you have to pick your river and your mountain and just say that that's where you're from. Even if it's not where you are, it can still be where you're from. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I just like, I find home such a big concept and it's such a big concept in this section as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're at the point of transition for both Sean and Puck, right? Mm. We see that their homes are, like in Sean's case, his home isn't his. If Cor and the beach are his homes, they don't belong to him. But he's content with that because that prevents him from being too vulnerable with them. Whereas Puck's whole heart is in her home with her brothers, and one of her brothers is about to leave and break that sense of home. And it was already fractured when their parents died. Yeah. And it's so devastating for her as well, because this is a an active decision that Gabe makes. Like, if Sean was to lose core, like if, you know, Melverde was to sell him to someone else, he would just be like, he'd be sad, but he'd also be like, well, that was inevitable. He wasn't mine, yeah. you know, yeah. where it just comes out of the blue for her that I don't think it's ever entered her mind that one of her brothers would leave. How could you, Gabe? This should not have been a shock. It should not have been, hey, guys, I'm leaving in two weeks. Like, what are you doing? That's such yes. a coward move. Oh, th yes, it's that's exactly what it is. It's cowardly. He doesn't want to deal with their emotions about it. That's what gets me. Like, he's just leaving and not yeah. dealing with it. I suppose we should be grateful that he said anything at all. He could just <laughs> not have come home one day. Where's Gabe? I don't know. Did he get eaten? Probably. Get a postcard three months later. The worst. Did you find any other marginalia that just jumped out at you? I really liked, you know, in the in the home space where she says the truth is until you know any different, the island is enough. And she's like, actually, I know different and it's still enough. And I just thought that was so powerful. Everything that Puck does is about connecting herself back to Thisbe and connecting her future to Thisbe. Like when she's talking about wearing her mum's sweater that her grandmother made for mm. her mum. I like to think of mum wearing it. It gives the sweater history. That's another link. She's always making those chains. She's always making those connections. And I like the connection in the text between that and um, Finn wearing Gabe's old sweater and being mm. so dwarfed by it. But he just wears it. And it's just so, so sweet. Another line that jumped out at me was... Um, when she talks about it's in the chapter where she's going to register for the race and she talks about how unfamiliar everything feels in the dark and how Skarmouth isn't quite the same. She's like, I feel lost and I'm only in Skarmouth. I can't imagine Gabe making his way on the mainland. Yeah. And it's just like this this idea of the familiar being unfamiliar when you're home, but it's not your home anymore. Mm. Not wanting to let it uh, kiss her on the mouth anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> Was that... um. I'll have to look up the reference, but there's something that my husband says a lot, which is when 
it's just a concept where if you're driving down a road and you turn around and come back, that is a different road, even if it was just the opposite direction. Oh, interesting. And so there's that duality of Skarmouth during the day where she's used to going around, noodling around, going to the butcher to get meat very occasionally. And then there's Skarmouth after dark, which is not something she would ever go to because she doesn't need to go to the pub and she'd rather be tucked up at home. Yeah. And I mean, we've all had that moment, you know, you hear people say it all the time being like, oh, you know, it looks so different in the dark when they're driving to someone's house or if you've lived overseas for a bit and you move back home and you're like, mm, everything's a, it's the same, but it's just a little bit off. You know, there's mm. just something that's not quite right. Yeah. When I started driving, I was driving on the other side of the road. Oh, yeah. Now that I've lived in Australia for most of my driving life, it's like I'm driving opposite to how I learned. But when I dream, my brain flips everything in the US to the Australian way. So it's like all of my memories and my dreams are mirror imaged. Wow, that's really interesting. Which makes it really confronting to go back and drive through all of these roads that I spent my teen years hooning around on. Your brain learns a new thing and, and, and translates that back sometimes. Yeah. It's like you can't even trust your own memories of what home is because it'll betray you. Yeah. Well, your new experiences and current experiences will always inform your memories. Which is what Sean's memories of his dad are like, right? It's yeah. kind of like his current experiences are coloring his memories of, of his dad. Absolutely. I did. I, I loved that we both had um, Thisbe is an island well populated by sons disappointing their fathers. Yeah, and that was just reinforced throughout it, right? Because mm -hmm. you have Joseph being a disappointment, and you've got yeah. Mutt being a disappointment. Yes. And even maybe Gabe. Like, if Gabe's father saw the way he was behaving, would he be disappointed? Yeah, I, I did catch that Puck was very worried about what her parents would be thinking of her climbing onto the back of a Kapolishka. Would they be mm. able to see that beach from heaven or would the cliffs obscure it? She's wondering if there's a way to get out of not honoring what needs to be honored. And then Peg throws it back at her when she's like, what would your parents say? Yes, that one got me too. It seems like her family follows her around no matter where she goes. She's always thinking about them. Mm. They're her moral compass, whether she wants them to be or not. Yeah. Whereas Sean has the opposite problem where he's just making his own way and deciding his own his own identity. Yeah, whereas with Puck it's definitely the Connollys, right? Yeah. It's the the clan. Exactly. I love that she has two names. Yeah, and like no one knows her real name. Pig's like, What's your name again? I forgot. I feel like she should know that. Um, it's not really related to home or family, but I also thought it was so just powerful that on the blackboard where they write the name of the jockeys and the horses, they leave a spot for Sean because they know he's coming. So they just leave yeah. that top line blank and they just do everyone else. I, I love that Peg is already like, you're going to win. So I'm just going to put you at the top of the board. So much power in that. He wields so much power and he seems, he seems almost unaware of it, but then he, he kind of spends a little bit of that in that last confrontation with Mutt, right? Where he's like, you'll, you'll ride the horse. I tell you to ride like, woof. When he was threatening, I love that you wrote down, I'm having my father let you go. And you said, chill out, Malfoy. That's so <laughs> true. It was such a, my father will hear about this moment. Oh my God. It was such a good, it was so, uh, yeah. So the actual line is, five years I've kept you alive on that beach. That's what your father asks of me. And that's what I'll keep doing. You'll ride what I tell him you'll ride. That's, that's a, you know, it's a bold call. It is. We see it play out though, that Benjamin Malvern actually relies on Sean more than anyone else and Sean basically runs the stables yeah and yet when Sean has that exchange at the Grattans he is very dismissive not 
he's unsentimental about the connection with Mel- Melbourne. Mm. You know, he's like, you know, it's not, they won't have anything compromising, far less something as humanitarian as pity. It's like he doesn't see them as family, which you'd think having worked there for nine years. Yeah, I I caught that as well. And I thought maybe Benjamin Malvern really is that hard-hearted. But I also think he's very shrewd and wouldn't keep Sean around if he didn't... Like, he he is very shrewd. He wouldn't keep Sean around if he didn't have a good reason to. But Mm -hmm. it's also impossible to look after someone to the extent that he has looked after Sean and not feel respect. Yeah. And something like kinship. Like, there has to be something there. Because if Sean were an absolute garbage kid, he wouldn't keep him, no matter how good of a horseman he is. Yeah, and I feel like Mutt wouldn't have the reaction to Sean that he does if there wasn't more to it. Because he's obviously craving that attention and Sean is getting something that he is not. Sean's not getting what Mutt would get, which is that unconditional acceptance that, like, Mutt gets that from his father. His father protects him in a way that nobody is protecting Sean. Yeah, true. Everybody expects Sean to be grown up and capable, so he is. Yeah, what is it that Gretton says to him? You know, you're the oldest 19-year-old I know. And I'm like, he shouldn't be. I know. he sh- Like, he really should not have to be a diplomat. I love that whole chapter where he's on the beach with Cor. I just thought that was so lovely. You know, they're in the water and they're splashing each other and they're having a good time. And I saw a real parallel between that and, like, Finn and Puck racing. It's, you know, these family rituals, these shared memories that you make and you play and that's what family does and and there's this bit that I underlined where he says I trace a letter on the skin behind his ears to still him and I rub my fingers through his mane to still me and it's just like such a lovely lovely they love each other yeah they support each other and then you know you see that love and you see that love when Finn makes Puck that cocoa it's just like such an act of love it's beautiful isn't it and I completely sympathize with her reaction to the kitchen and just being like oh gosh we're a mess the kitchen's a mess no wonder Gabe wants to leave but I think sometimes love is messy and wonderful and Finn is the absolute exemplar of loving something so much it turns into a giant mess all of the time I just did a sad face when she's like there's no wonder short like no wonder Gabe wants to leave I'm like no yeah don't take that blame on it's not yours you don't need to keep it We do that in traumatic situations, right? Where if she takes the blame, then it's something she can fix. So it's it's how she stays in Mm. control of the situation. She's trying to find the reason. And there isn't really a reason that she can ever understand. She doesn't ever want to leave Thisbe. She can't imagine anything worse than, than having to leave. But for Gabe, having to stay is the worst thing. So, Yeah. The one thing that I did want to talk about was, we've briefly touched on it, but when Peg says, your brother told me not to let you sign up. He wanted me to find a rule against it. I was interested by this because it felt like almost a weird thing for Gabe to do compared to what he the way he'd reacted when she said she was going to race. Yeah. Like he was like, "Oh, this is a stupid thing, but whatever." And then he goes and tells Peg to like don't let her sign up. Now, is he doing that out of selfish reasons so that he can actually just leave, or is he doing it because he actually is really worried about her? I think it comes down to the argument that he was having with Puck in his mind where he couldn't say, you can't race and get killed because then who will look after Finn? So he's trying to prevent that from happening at all because if he can't leave, then it's terrible. And if Puck dies, it's terrible. But he also can't say that because he doesn't want to have the argument with his family. The person that he feels safest talking to about is Peg, who also happens to be the person who writes down all the racers. It's almost cynical of me, but now that you've said it like that, I'm like, okay, he just doesn't want Puck to die because then he'll have to stay behind and look after Finn and he doesn't actually care if she dies or not. I mean, it's not not the reason, right? (laughs) 
he won't he won't know if okay so once he leaves he'll have to grieve them he already Mm. is going to have to lose them but he doesn't have to know it can be ambiguous and they've all lived this life of ambiguity right people go to the mainland or they get snatched off their boats and people never know like that's normal for Thisbe, right so that's a normal he's already used to and can live with but if he stays and watches her die and then leaves finn he's gonna know that he's done a really crappy thing yeah that's that's a lot and i think it can live side by side with not wanting his sister to die i think he would rather leave them and let them find their own way and let it be ambiguous it's a complicated emotion yeah yeah he's uh he's got the range darling he just can't talk about it with his family so he talks about it with his one of his best friend's mothers because that's not weird at all (laughs) i do love that he tries to keep her safe I mean, I'll give him a point for that. He does try. He doesn't say, I wish you wouldn't because I care about you and don't want you to die. But he does say, can you stop my sister from doing this? It's like, you know, you know someone's going to drink drive so you take their car keys away. He's kind of hiding the car keys. That's that's Mm. like the best he can do. But he's also assuming that she's going to find a horse. Yeah. Which is, you know, quite a big leap. Like, where is she going to find money for a horse? And you've just assumed that she's going to find one. Yeah, so I remember the first time I read that, I was like, I don't even understand why she's down at the beach. She has a horse that she loves. Like, it, I think it was like the third or fourth time that I was going through the book that I was like, oh, she's trying to get a cap. Oh, like, I just, it wouldn't sit in my mind that she would even try to ride one of them. Yeah. I wonder if that's also just the Connollys being so out of it. Like, you know, their parents weren't into the races. They were never really part of it. It was just this thing that happened on the fringes. So for Gabe, he's not like, well, no woman has ever ridden in the races. So psh, whatever. Or, you yeah. know, you don't you don't have the right horse for it. it that's not what he thinks about. He's just like, oh, of course she's going to enter. So I'll, I'll stop it at that point. I, yeah, they do feel very out of it. Yeah, I love that um, Puck is so convinced that everybody is polite until they're not. Yeah. She's like, oh, people aren't rude. It's just that beer makes people deaf. I think a lot of people have been rude to her consistently over that the time that we have seen her. Yeah, everyone on that beach was so mean to her. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, like, she's oh, a Connolly and they're all wild and whatever, but she's so polite and so, like, you know, she adds sir to the end of mm. her conversation because her dad said that, well, get people, get things done, you yeah, know. Yeah, turn ruffian and, ruffians into gentlemen. Puck is so good at communicating with Dove, you know, she like talks to her and she congratulates her and when she does something well, she's like patting her and being like, good horse, you're still a good girl, you know, she can't talk to her brother. And they don't know when things are important to her. Yeah. Which I think is, on Finn's part, I would take that as a social cues issue. And on Gabe's part, I would say that he is being willfully blind to the problems that are happening in the household. He can't put himself out there to take care of it, so he's just shutting himself off from it. Yeah, he can't engage with it because he doesn't have the bandwidth, basically. Yeah. It's like, this is not a thing yes. that I can deal with. He left even before he said he was leaving, basically. Mm, absentee brother. Um, is there any character you'd like to spotlight this week? I kept coming back to Puck. She's so brave. She's trying her best. She doesn't really do the best job all of the time but she does like she's very faithful and I really love that she's so faithful and also she's got hard limits and I really love that she knows herself and knows her boundaries like she wants to get a horse but can't get herself to ride on a kapalishka and I love that she makes that call even as a 17 or 18 year old she doesn't want to leave Thisbe she's seen the outside world enough to know that she's happy where she is 
And she's not susceptible to this, like, idea that there's scarcity, even though she doesn't have very much. She's just like, if I had enough to eat and my house and my horse, I'd be okay. That's so beautiful. So, yeah. How about you? Who do you want to spotlight this week? Um, I was really focused on Finn. I think there's something so vulnerable in this image of him and his too big sweater sitting there taking apart a chainsaw because he can't really unpick what he's feeling inside himself. Like, I feel like that's a real way for him to cope with everything that's going on in his life is just to sit there and control what he can, which is, I'm going to take apart this thing and put it back together. And that'll take up a good chunk of time that I don't have to think. And I love, 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 you know, the amount of love he puts into making Puck that hot cocoa because he doesn't know how to respond to anything that's happening and this is what he can do. And then going down to the beach with her, it just, it makes my heart hurt. I think, you know, he's having his world fall apart. His parents died and now his brother is leaving. Like everything he's known is falling apart and he has no power in that. You know, he's what, 14 years old. It's a horrible time to have all of these awful things happening to you. He's just showing up and he's trying his best in the only way that he knows how. And I just think he deserves a big, big hug. And anyone who's showing up and trying, even though it's hard, deserves a big hug. Yes. I love brother-sister duos who are just best friends and know each other and get annoyed, but still, like, they bicker, but in a loving way. Which is so realistic. I mean, I'm an only child, so I don't know, but I think, yeah. You had flatmates though, right? Yes totally yeah it was so good to it was so good to talk about and i love these chapters so much so thank you for potting with me thank you so much for taking the time out to discuss this with me and i can't wait for next week i love it and i love you and i'm glad we get to do this it's so good it's so good um what are we what are our themes next week actually we're going to be reading chapters 14 to 19 and through the themes of belonging and vulnerability amazing oh, that should be a good be chunky so one so juicy i can't wait great well i'll see you next week then I'll see you then thanks for joining us today marginalia pod is written edited and produced by us jen d and jen v with additional editing and production support by simon b if you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.